Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For me personally, I think that, uh, you know, it's at times of great crisis and emergency that, that music is the cultural well-being of the people is is as important as the safety, the, the health and safety of the people. I just think that music is perfectly helps explain big stuff, makes sense. The stuff that doesn't, is impossible to ex- make sense of, you know, by playing music. Welcome to Inside the Banjoverse. This is your host, Enda Scal, and firstly, a big shout-out to all the patrons of the podcast. Very grateful for people that have joined up on Patreon to support this endeavor, and you can do so at Enda Scal Banjo. Inside the Banjoverse is a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. My guest on this episode of the podcast is the inimitable Brian Finnegan, one of Ireland's most influential musicians, Brian, arguably best known for his work with the band Fluke and also the band Can. That's K-A-N for those who are not familiar. And they have a track called Night Ride to Armagh, which is my number one most replayed video on YouTube. I listened to it multiple times. It's recorded in Spain at the Festival de Ortoguera and it looks like a hell of a time. So do go and check that out. Uh, I had a really great conversation with Brian. He is one of the nicest guys you're going to meet in Irish music. Very deep thinker, very thoughtful guy, brilliant musician. And I do hope that you enjoy this episode of Inside the Banjoverse with the great Brian Finnegan. Brian Finnegan, it's fantastic to see you. Uh, it's been a very long time since we met face to face. It was somewhere in the north of Ireland. I don't even remember where, but I'm going to say it's at least... 10 or 15 years ago. Mm. I'm, I'm not asking you to remember. Now that's like, put you on the spot. When was the last time you met me? <laughs> Everything seems a long time ago. <laughs> These days end up. Yeah. Uh, it's funny, you know, we get a, we've just been on a fluke tour and I don't, I wouldn't say that we've become a heritage act, but it's just like every single night it's, you hear the same, you know, recounting of, of uh, the, how the, Folks, you know, grown up adults, you know, towering above me, you were all, you all grew up to fluke in the cradle, you know, their mothers took us to a fluke gig and, and it's lovely to hear, you know, I mean, I, I accepted open armed, but yeah, everything seems, seems ancient history now. Do, do you have a sense of how fluke defined the sound of whistle and perhaps flute and particularly that style of flute playing? in Irish music, as in defined it. I'm not sure. I mean, you, you hear, yeah, I hear a lot of, I mean, just particularly my style, you know, um, that 
coming through in a lot of youngsters these days and and I, I guess some be there's just two schools of thought on that that it's you know that it's where it should be going or and another school that's horrified <laughs> equally horrified by where it's going but I guess you know the way that we share music and the way that it's it's so readily available on on the internet and stuff that it's you know if you don't have a t- if you're coming from a from a, a rural community or an isolated community or, or from overseas you're you know the way that you access it is through the internet and so your ground and, and your vocabulary is is that it's it's kind of the stuff that you love rather than the, the bricks and mortar of the tradition you know so they're picking up stuff that I, that I, it took me a lifetime to arrive at and not to become a style you know, and even the fluke style now, you know, a lot of kids are we're learning fluke tunes and there's a certain certain swagger or certain syncopation or certain, you know, colour about them that you know, is 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 this should be part of, of your diet, but not necessarily you shouldn't gorge on that one thing. You know, it's just like everything else, but it's it's hard to filter it really these days. I mean, I I I, I love hearing stories about, you know, kids or, or musicians who were inspired by the fluke albums and um, um and i guess you know when we when we started off it's so long ago now and it's the 20 20 almost 30 years it's it was so new mike was in the band and mike was the hot young thing at the time he just won the bbc uh, young musician of the year so as a vehicle for his prize you know we suddenly found ourselves playing cambridge and big stages and and it was new and it was it was different and it was daring, I suppose, and a bit risky. But then when Mike left, it became, if, oddly enough, it became more of a band because, you know, the vacuum, the space that he left behind, it was filled by an arc as opposed to, you know, the three flutes, which was a kind of novelty out front. And the guitar was just secondary, you know, it became more solid, it became uh, more equal after that and and I guess that's when it really took off and um, yeah I mean we've always loved the, the thing about I, I've always played in bands that came from across the water with Can and, and, and Slug and it was always a big deal for me coming back home and doing gigs in Ireland you know because I, I was slightly fearful that I you know I wouldn't be accepted and or maybe that the music was a bit too exotic but it was all in my mind because you know, the gigs were just electric. Every time we came to play out from Ireland, we were just spent by the end of the tour. And and it became a bit of a mantra, you know, let's just work in Ireland. Let's work nowhere else. It's just good fun, you know, and people get it. And um, so I guess, yeah, it was, it was it's, everything's about time, isn't it, really? Because I think that back then, 20, 30 years ago, we were just, the doors had opened you know, world music never really came to Ireland when it came to England, London and Manchester and places like that, you know, Indian music, Bulgarian music. Um, they never made that extra hop. So I guess we were coming, we were coming with a, with a sound that was, was had a more world palette to it. We were just playing tunes from Sweden and, and you know, Eastern Europe. Not because we thought we could play them as well as, as, as the people from there, but just because they resonated with us. And, there was no expectation from Fluke to be an Irish band or a Scottish band or an English band. So we kind of had this luxury of inhabiting a tiny little island of our own, which was, uh, I guess it just captured the imagination at the time. 
you know. So you obviously have a great love for traditional music. Um, did you feel that you had, to, was, it, was it an uncomfortable thing to step outside of that? Because Fluke, as you said, was very much world music, very contemporary. Not uncomfortable at all, no. I, I think when you when you come from when you come from uh, a, a tradition like our tradition, the Irish tradition. I mean, I guess it it it's, it comes down to your teachers and how you were empowered and inspired as a kid. You know, a, a kind of natural curiosity to want to explore, um, uh, as opposed to being very rigid and said and told that this is how it should be, and don't stray or step outside that but I was never told that I had great teachers you know who were even before I was ready they were sticking me in senior groups you know and traveling uh we used to do a lot of traveling a lot of competitions you didn't have like fanfare for young musicians and proms and Cardinal O'Fee who was the cardinal in Armagh at the time was a huge lover of trad music so we used to get the nod now and again from from him to come along to conventions and play tunes with the Pipers Club you know that's that's really it's potent for a kid you know to be to be out there doing stuff like that and and then when you're out there you know you're just really you're you're submersed in this in this huge flow of energy and it's hugely inspiring you for for those who don't know and I, I would count myself partly among them just tell me a little bit about the Armagh Pipers Club what it is, what it means for young musicians. Aye, well, the Pipers Club was was formed. It must be set going on, you know, fifty seven years ago now, and um, by Brian and Ethna Vallely. And Brian, um, you know, Brian was a great sportsman, uh, a very famous artist, um, and he, you know, he he had cycled all over Europe, and I think he found himself one night in in Galicia. Uh, in Vigo, it was late at night and he happened upon a bar where there was Galician music being played and, you know, I'd heard the pipes and knew what Irish mu trad music was but was just spirited away in Galicia that night and came back home and got involved and, you know, was in the Dublin Pipers Club and thought to himself, well, you know, if there's if it's good enough for Dublin, why, why can't we have a Pipers Club in Armagh? Met Ethna, who was a fantastic Donegal fiddle player, um, and between the pair of them, they, they set out to, to bring their own brand of of music and culture. You know, everything culturally rich back in the in the six, six, late 60s, early 70s and beyond was was coming through the Valleys, the, uh, the sport. Brian was the president of the NSCAI, which is the National Athletic and Cycling Association of Ireland. And they didn't recognize the border between the two. You know, they were a cross-border sports organization. Um, and, you know, he was involved with art and, and music. So I actually got into music through through cross-country running, believe it or not. I was a tragic, tragic runner. But I, uh, you know, my then we were taken uh, by default to music classes because, you know, um, that's what was happening at the time. And it was just that the energy that was coming through the pair of them was just so so hard to resist you know i just i wanted to be around them as much as i could um and then once there was music in the house it just caught fire after that you know my sister went and then we there was whistles and fiddles and flutes and and their style of music was just based on the spirit of the child you know they were so present 
because kids don't know what they're good at, you know, whether it's skateboarding or illustration or, you know, it takes a present adult in the room to spot it, you know, and then, and then ask them to do it again, you know, because it's so easy to miss that kind of moment in the midst of, you know, there were like 200 kids as well. So they are uh, quite remarkable and they're still at it. You know, there's hundreds of kids go through the classes every, every weekend. You know, my kid, my two kids have just started now. So, um, and yeah, there, as I say, you know, their, their, their way of learning was to empower children and then say, go and have a go, you know, whatever it is that, that you feel, you know, of course, learn, learn the tradition and, and carry that with you, you know, because the, the, you know, trad music is in the, it's in the turf of the country. It comes out of the ground, and, you know, so I, I think that once you have that, you can carry it forward then and, and explore, be curious. Um, and that's, that's, that's the, that's why I kind of love teaching as well. Apart from my life as, as a player, um, I, I just love teaching because I, I loved the teachers I had. What, what, what age are your kids? Uh, 11 and 5. Oh, oh, what are they playing? Handful. Well, they're both there. One's in the singing class and the other one uh, is in the whistle, but he's playing drums as well at home. Yeah. Uh, how, how do they feel about having a, you know, a, a, a dad who's a famous musician? Are they? I mean, clearly they have an awareness of it. Uh, does, that, does that have any impact on them in, in terms of learning music? I don't think so. I mean, I thought a lot about it, you know. I mean, I think maybe it was a conscious decision for my eldest boy, Goline, to, you know, don't want to play the drums. He's just been, you know, since he was a tiny little one. He, I mean, it's I, I guess most kids just want to hit stuff. But he, it's it's quite obvious that his, his rhythm is uh, <laughs> is more than that. You know, he's, he's uh, and he's and he's hanging around with great drummers as well, you know, and, and uh, Liam Bradley and, Jim Goodwin and John Joe Kelly, so he's got a, a a stable of surrogate uncles who all set him up and teach him tricks and Danny Burt as well. So he's he's spoiled. <laughs> it certainly is. <laughs> and I think you know I don't I don't think the whole fame thing or 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 he comes to gigs quite a lot, Olin, and he'll he'll sidle up at the end of the gig when I'm either signing stuff or being accosted by whoever, and he just that's it. He's just bored. He wants to go home and. And the other one, the little one, he's hilarious. He just he stands in the front row, on <laughs> feeling the air. <laughs> uh, so, no, they're enjoying it. It's the kid. The kids thing is the the the, the is is just difficult because you know, you just don't you know the older you get, you just you, you shit being away. It's it's a it's a constant betwixt and between. I find you know that never got any easier. In fact, I got a lot more more of a, of a, a struggle uh, as they get older now too especially after this was after the lockdown too I mean I know it's it's a story that has been told many times when we were in the world but I think parents and particular fathers who were away a lot you know um, it's not until you're inside a family for a prolonged period of time do you, you realise what a finely balanced ecosystem it is and going away and coming back there's an order that you just kind of crash into them and so I found that, yeah, I had to reinvent the wheel for the last few years. Yeah. I, I went around for the first few months wondering what room I should sit in. Right. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, I mean, do you, 
how much how much do you travel? Well, I trimmed it down. Um, I was working all out in Russia, ended with a big uh, Russian. He's a, he's a Russian poet laureate, and um, but he's a protest singer. So even before the war started, uh, with Ukraine, he you know he got out and uh, got a place in London, and he's now he's now tailored his work. So he's he's been become the one of the most high profile critics of the war and. Uh, anywhere there's a Ukrainian Russian diaspora, he's now he's mega busy. He's doing, but they're smaller tours, which is great for me. So three, four gigs, and you know maybe over a week max, and then I'm back home, as opposed to you know three weeks away. Um, so how did that all come about? It's a weird one, you know. I I, I often wonder. I mean, it's just. I learned to love the questions as I got older, really, because there's no point thinking about warriors foot. It's just uh, how I whistled there to be playing with a Russian rock legend. It's it's weird, you know, John, John Joe uh, and myself, we got a, an invitation to go out to New York to play the World Music Institute. That is their 25th anniversary. And uh, the theme of that concert was the flute and the drum and Sakir Hussein. Uh, the tabla player, Indian tabla player, was the MD. So it was a huge big community of uh, Indian, Pakistan. Uh, and after the after the concert, we were at stage door and we were approached by two guys, very smiley guys, who said that they were from the Sri Shinmoy Institute. And um, Sri Shinmoy had uh, invited us to his center to bestow this great honor. On us, uh, he had a ceremony called "Lifting the World," um, where he he would invite people who had made a contribution to the arts or music or sport um, to come, and he would literally lift them above his head on this steel contraption. He was a, a avid uh, weightlifter, and I think he competed as well, um, and did a lot of ultra marathon running. And but I'd never I'd never heard his name. You know, I I wasn't in in that in that orbiting in that world at the time so um we thought they were slightly strange and back to the hotel and googled googled the name of free Finway and and uh, i was just flattened and there was I, he was there and there were photographs of him listen, lifting martin luther king and muhammad ali so we tried to set it up you know um and then we had to leave town the next morning quite early and then we missed another chance later with fluke um, and then about eight months later, I read his obituary in the in the Guardian. So uh, we really sad. Was I was gutted that we'd missed the chance to meet him. But about a year after that, there was a phone call came through from London from from a company who said they were um, organizing a concert in the Royal Albert Hall uh, to celebrate his life. And the Russian poet laureate, who was his closest friend, one of his closest friends, was was leading this big extravaganza. And word had come through from New York that that Sri was fans of Fluke. And so we met, John Joe and I got an invitation to go perform at the Royal Albert Hall. Um, and that was the first night that I, that I met Boris. And then he was taking this, uh, his band was called Aquarium. He, he had formed this international band with a lot of Indian musicians and jazzers. And he, he took the whole shebang to Kazan in Russia to play a big, big festival out there. And it's just later on from there, he trimmed it right down to you know, like an eight piece and asked me to do one tour, which was in 2008. Um, and then, yeah, it just took off. Luke had stopped at the time. We had taken a wee, uh, 
we've taken time out. So they were just as as it as it naturally happened. I think when you're in something and you're in it with your whole heart. I I guess I I also think and I've kind of my opinion about it is that also as a writer, I think there's something about being a writer or you know or being available to receive music. I think I don't really think I'm a, I'm a writer, but I think when you're open to receiving stuff for for yourself first, and then you know to 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 you know to the genesis of it to bring it out into the world. I think you just your these things that start to align. I I used to panic if something just fell away, if there was follow time, and now I really realize everything that happens to me is for me to go deeper and deeper into into that place. You know where I I get it. The kids, the love, the loss, the whole shebang. You know, it's just the, the lean times and the, and the and the great times. It's it's all it's, it's all it all distills. Mm. into story I want to ask you more about Russia but are are you a spiritual person okay you know, I am through music yeah I think that is that's taken me to a very quiet place inside I you know I make space for for quiet yeah mm. tell me more about Russia because I'm I'm fascinated with you've obviously toured their festivals all right so here's you know I have an impression of Russia, having never been there, and of course now the whole world is an impression of Russia. We, we, mm. I don't, I don't think people associate the idea of a music festival with what is being sold as what Russia is. Yeah, I know, um, and that is the 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 great tragedy of what's happening. And and I, I saw that coming for six months before it before it had, had exploded. You know, I had friends, you know, who from Russia who are working in various parts of the world, and as it was. As it was starting to show rear its face, you could just tell, you know, from from sport to dance to that whole idea of Russia was being tarnished. It was the shame of it all that was just just handed to every single Russian citizen, you know. And if you think about how, that, how vast that country is, you know, and the ethnic peoples in Siberia and right across into the Far East, you know, it's. It was absolutely not their war. It's nothing to do with those folks at all, you know. It's, but they're carrying that shame, and they will do for generations now, you know. And it's just a fascinating country. It's really diverse, you know. Um, we 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 would go out and we would tour, and I guess you know the whole uh, uh, Western experience of Russia is we see them as a hard. There's an armor around them when you even even for me you when i met a lot of, meet a lot of russians especially when i'm away from the band you know they're very they're very blunt and direct and they look at you you know with these these eyes you know and they they don't like to hear english they just if you if, if you haven't got a grasp of russian and they just they yeah strip you to the bone <laughs> i've literally been traumatized in corner shops all over russia for asking for things with a bad bad accent you know, <laughs> um, but I, the other side is I see them from the stage and I see them illuminated and opened by, by what they're hearing. And I, they're just the same as, as folks everywhere. They have the same stories and they have the same soft softness and tenderness and kind, love and kindness, especially through, through this, this gig, because the man is, you know, his songs are about 
about the human condition, about love and freedom and having the right to bring up your kids the way that you want want to, you know, um, and sharing. Because the, the, the thing about that band also is half the band were Ukrainian and half are, are Russian. So the, 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 the blood of both nations flow through the veins. So um, these gigs are very, very powerful. And, and I see the Russia, I see his Russia, which is, which is real Russia. And to be honest, I, I just did an interview recently and I, and I, and I, and I questioned, did the, 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 you know, the chief of, of staff even know his Russia? Did, did, you know, because I think I know it better than him. I've seen it, you know, that, that glow coming back from the people, you know, there's no hatred towards each other, but yet in a kind of way, it, it's almost as, as, as seismic as the start of the troubles up here in the north, you know, because I, I remember, you know, my, I hear stories about my, from my dad, you know, my dad was a socialist and he, he, he did a lot of, uh, Zen and all his friends were chess players and, you know, and then overnight, you know, you were just either Protestant or Catholic. Yeah. Was that before you were born? Yeah. I was born in 69. So it was the, that was when it all started. Child of the Troubles. What was yeah. that like? That's the broadest question ever asked. But in the context of what you're talking about. It was, it was, it was, it was, uh, at the time it felt, it was just natural. It was, it's, you know, you grew, you, we grew up in it and you, you, you developed a sense of where you shouldn't be and where you should be, where it was, who it was okay to talk to you and who it wasn't. Places, bars, names, surnames. It just became, yeah, it became the, a way of life, you know. Um, when it wasn't until I went away <clears throat> and then came back to it that I realized that, that it was, it was twisted. It wasn't right to live like that. Was the music and, then a, a strong sense of identity with, within that setup? Yeah. Yeah, it, it was because it was also, a, a, as I explained, coming through the Valleys and they had a very strong sense of culture and identity and and belonging to a place and to a people. And that, 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 that transmitted through how they taught, how they lived, how they, how they, the, 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 the lessons that they passed on through the music to the kids, it all became, it all became that. Yeah. And you know, the great thing is, and that as, as, as life has the most remarkable thing about the, uh, I think Brian and Ethne is that their willingness to adapt and change and change, not just change who they are, but change their opinion about, about the, the place they live and how, uh, just this openness to embrace everything, you know, that I guess the start of the piping festival in Armagh, the William Kennedy piping festival, Brian reached out to, to pipe bands, pipe majors from, from pipe bands up in the North, because he just wanted to include everyone. He wanted to, you know, it was time to, to move on from, you know, being segregated and, and isolated from each other. Um, and, and they were willing enough and brave enough also to, to accept. So this, the, the piping festival became this beacon for, for common ground 
you know, what happens when we forget and when, when we put all that aside? And yeah, so in a way, I can see that, you know, it's, it's already starting to happen in Ukraine and Russia. And it had, you know, or arts, like, or arts organizations who are now finding the voice and saying, right, this isn't, this is, it has to stop now. Um, but yeah, it was different growing up in the North. I wouldn't change a thing, but. Uh, talk to me about the band Can because it's my most played YouTube video. <laughs> Um, and I, I've listened to Night Ride to Belfast, uh, Night Ride to Arma. I, I listen to it at least once a month, if not ten times a month, because it's and it's the the live the live set at uh, Artiguera in in Spain. Oh yeah, it's an incredible piece of music. <laughs> it's hard not to have a good gig at Artiguera. That's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's it's some festival. I we. We were just, we were doing, I, I guess we had arrived at Artigera, you know, we'd been doing quite a, a lot of gigs that year and everything, sometimes you just get an, a, a night when everything, in fact, I think we were also there as part of, there was a project put together by Guidewires called Dawn. It was Guidewires, Can and Amos McCormick and we were headlining the festival. Um, but because we were we were there, uh, the organizers said, "Yeah, you should do a set." And uh, I think that sometimes, in, in that kind of especially in Galicia, they 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 start their festivals so late that we I don't think we were on until two in the morning or half two. But there's a tipping point that if you know if you go if you're not on till later than that, it just it gets out of control. You know, it's like a lot of folk are are worst aware, but. So I think there's a there's a there's a there's a great time to be to be on and we we just had it and we just wanted to play we were our appetite was pretty ravenous and we were tight and it it worked it was yeah it was, yeah, it was one of those one of those nights where I think what Tom Witts explains it best I think he he says yeah night we all went out to the meadow <laughs> and he was asked. Well, what, what does that mean? And he said, well, you know, you can't really go out to the meadow on your own. It has to be a band sick band. You know, like, it's when the walls and the roof dissolves. There is no building. There is no stage. You're in the meadow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And unless I think you've, unless you've, unless you've been in the meadow, which you have many times, you, uh, it's hard to explain what it is, but it's just everything clicks. Yeah. Yeah. And that comes across on that particular video. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. How long did Can go for? And is it on a break like Fluke, or is it was that just a project for uh, for a number of years? I mean, I don't think it was at the start. I think we we wanted to to you know to take it as far as we could, um, but it was it was we it was more there was there was other stuff going on at the time, and and I think also, you know, we kind of had an idea of where where an entry level where we might come in and. And and in real, in regards to that, you know what we could expect in return, you know, with with uh, uh, festival fees and uh, just you know the finances. I guess when Fluke started off, you know, we we didn't have we were so young and we didn't have families or responsibility. And we just wanted we would have did gigs for nothing and sometimes did. And um, um, but in you know when you're when you're older and you've it's hard to justify going away when you're coming back landing so. 
uh, we thought we'll give it a year and then it'll get better and it didn't. Um, and then, you know, the guys all started having families and that got more complicated and I think we just, we reached a point where we, yeah, it was, it was just unmanageable for a few reasons and we thought that's, it'd be better off now to just, to put it away for a little while and see. We did a couple of gigs um, maybe four years ago around Ireland. Um, just myself and and and, and then Neve Neve Farrell came and sang some songs, and that, that was great. It was great. it was really great to see them all again. I saw the, I saw the two Aidan and Jim there recently at Aidan's wedding, and we talked about it. But yeah, musicians do a lot of talking, don't they? Really, <laughs> well, barely, especially when there's beer involved. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, is it hard being a professional musician is it tough is it a tough business to be in when you have kids yeah and when you don't want to be on the road so much but then I um, I think about oh well I think I I, you know I ponder the the path quite a lot uh, as, as I say especially after lockdown and I think you know um I don't want to miss things that then won't come back, you know, that have disappeared and will not come back now, you know. Um, my parents are not getting any younger. Um, you know, I, 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 I can, you know, sometimes you, 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 you can get caught in the whole cyclical nature of, of making records and getting out and touring them and making records and, your mind can tell you if you're not doing it, someone else will do it better than you. And then by the time you come back, you know, you'll be, you'll be, uh, you'll be on the scrap people. But I, for me, I, I kind of just trust my instinct now as I get older. And I think, uh, I'm the luckiest man in the world and uh, there's no one more lucky than than that that leads lives the life that i live right now i have got a beautiful family and an incredible woman soulmate who uh is very patient and forgiven and uh and actually loves loves you know loves loves music she is a singer um and she understands my life and uh even though it's not easy yeah she's she's willing to to um just keep the family and and solid and and secure and and when I come back I've we've learned over over time as you do in 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 love to uh, appreciate and accept and support each other when you can so I would like to be around more I would I I don't like to go away and um, but I I also want my kids to be inspired and if there's one lesson that you can teach your kids is you know to be true at the risk of leaving them and them missing you and on all the connotations of, of you being absent. If they can see you, their father or their mother illuminated with their own life and, and know who they are. Because I think when you play music, I mean, words are clumsy. When you're in uh, submersed and absorbed in what you do so naturally, you're, you, it's so evident who you are. You don't need to ask how a pal of mine came to a gig recently and he hadn't seen him for years and he said to me let's catch up afterwards you know and it's been ages since we chatted and then I got a text from my mom so I gave to say 
Nah. I know exactly how you how you are. I don't even know what to say entirely. <laughs> Which was a lovely thing, you know. Yeah, and I think I think um, I I'd like to, you know, I'd like my kids to 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 do the thing in their life that that, and to take risks and not be afraid to, be frank with their choices, to trust themselves, you know, even if it's doesn't make sense at the time. Because you can't look into the future, you can only, it's only when you look back that you see how it all worked out and connected. Um, so, yeah. That's a beautiful sentiment. I, I love that. I, I, I made that choice myself, which was to leave a full-time job, permanent job with all the bells and whistles and pensions and everything, to become a full-time musician. And one of the resounding... Uh, factors that made that decision easier was that I would be an example to my own son of being a father who went after his dreams, did it in a wholehearted way, but then beca became a fulfilled and, as you said, illuminated person rather than, you know, maybe sacrificing that for the safety of the humdrum. And what, what impact might that have? Mm. And, and it was definitely a positive move. That's the thing, you know, because I think what, you know, I think that whenever you, um, because I've, in the past, I've been guilty of being not, not, not very present when I was at home. Uh, I'm better at it now, you know, but, you know, kids know when you're in the room, you know, you can be physically next to them, you can be building jigsaws and your spirit could be absolutely somewhere else, you know, and they can sense it. And I... Uh, and so they get, they get only get half of you and they don't even get the good half, you know, they get the half that's wants to be somewhere else. Um, and so I think that as they grow up now, they're around music and they, 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 they really get it. And my oldest boy, especially, you know, he, he, he started to, well, when, when it's, when it works out to come with me and be around and he, he just, he loves he loves being in that vibe and that flow of, of music. He just, he's, he's really, he's a very talented kid. So I don't know if he'll, he'll be in music or if, if it'll catch fire in him, but I think it's just such a lovely world as well for for kids to be around creative people, you know. Yeah. Um, not just music, but art. And it's just, especially at times, uh, the last couple of years have been, been tough because I think, you know, for me personally, I think that, uh, you know, it's a times of great crisis and emergency that, that music is the cultural well-being of the people is is as important as the safety, the, the health and safety of the people. I just think that music is perfectly helps explain big stuff, makes sense. The stuff that doesn't, is impossible to make sense of, you know, by playing music. I find myself in the early days of the lockdown writing, well, first of all, practicing, and then I couldn't, you know, I have an old neighbor who, you know, we have a rack run from the back of our house here in the country into his house. He's 90, 93, and he's almost blind. Um, And he's this shipping, you know, it is, hasn't been, it's been untouched for 150 years. There is, I'm sure you know people like him, and, but he, he's the last of his kind. He's a Shanaki and uh, he, he has a big fire, he, you know, he feeds his, his, he used to feed his dog from the, from his hand in the, in the dog food and 
and he's all the all his all his table legs and his chair legs inside furry liquid bottles to stop the the cats and the dog gnawing the bottom of this. And uh, he, yeah, he's he's a remarkable man. But they when they go messing, I know they're you know they're sitting in front of his fire, stealing his chocolate biscuits, and you know. Donald stopped in 2020, you know, we, we just couldn't go. And so I started to write and I, I was really just to try and explain to them what was happening because I couldn't articulate it. I didn't know either. You know, it was like, just, we were blind. Um, and music just became the way we did it. We would write and then we would dance in the kitchen and they would talk about the music and, and then we would pop names on tunes about this one was for Tony, this one was for you know, what was, you know, just, just, just various different, they became, it became a way of, and it was, it was really, really healing. And it, it just, it, I, I, I realized the power of it then. And I mean, I knew before that why, what, but it just seemed to be in, in those moments when, when you most needed, because when things are right and when things of flowers are all blooming and neat and the rose, rarely does music have that kind of, potency you know it's not that you need that those that those those moments of peril to, to 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 create because a lot of great music and creativity comes out of out of love and you know positive situation but i find for me it really is when i come most alive as a writer and a musician is when things ain't smooth is that and that's where your album hunger of the skin came from right exactly yeah it's yeah. a very powerful, very powerful title. Yeah, um, I, and based really just on that, based on the fact I couldn't put a hand on Tony's shoulder, we weren't welcome in each other's arms anymore. You know, and it just became, it just became the, my worst nightmare, really, because I, I was just thinking about all the rhetoric of yeah, the the big, the big uh, silicon companies, you know, like the, the Googles and the Microsofts who were licking their lips at this fact that we were all now online. And I, 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 I guess when you have a kid as well, it's, you realize once they get their hands on that, all that sort of stuff, it's kiss of death, really, you know, it's very alarming and worrying, but that's a, that's another story entirely about, about how do you. How do you inter how do you interact on uh, with the online world with social media? Because of course, it's a vital part of any industry in that it's in the inevitability of it. But it can be a terrible place to spend too much time. How do you deal with that dance? But in music or as in as in in, in in music, I think particularly. I I kind of yeah. I mean I I I I I'm not very literate when it comes to it i mean i just that's that's stuff that i hear and then i jump on the bandwagon and i think that's 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 where it needs to go and then i'm told that that's not cool my wife my wife is brilliant you know and she'll say oh no 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 don't do that you know that's or you're doing it too much or back off or and you're i not just, doing you're not doing tiktok dances now are you not yet not yet yeah i'll, I'll save that one up for uh Another day, I, I, you know, I, I do, I, I really, I, I can see the benefit of it, and uh, it's, it's a great tool for, for sure. And 
I mean, that's how we, that's how we're doing it now, isn't it? Really, you know, through digi- the digital channels and 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 worlds and platforms, and uh, and it has been the kind of the death, and it's been coming for a long time. The death of of uh, hard physical stock, you know, when you're a musician, and and that's you know, as a big part of your revenue, isn't it? It was merchandising. But now it's beanies. And there's only so many beanies as you can sell, really, you know, in a or t-shirts or tea towels. <laughs> yeah, but music is now it's 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 online, so um, you just have to adapt and improvise and embrace it. I think you know it's where it's headed. But at the same time, you know, uh, that's why I think the live work is just so important now, because you're in a room with people and. It's the exchange of energy that is so human that you can never possibly get, you know, from from being online in whatever way, you know, whether it's doing gigs or whether it's listening to music or sharing ideas about music. You can't, it's, 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 uh, the horse has already bolted the, the stable door. If you're in that moment with a, with a, with in a, in a room with people and you're sharing it together, you just realize that. The 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 force. It's it's because it's coming from Mother Nature, you know, and and it's like the 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 perfect the perfect night for me is when the band and and everyone in the room or being it's almost like you know your your puppets. Mother Nature is spinning. She's at the she's at the decks. She knows how hot it has to be. And she knows who can can who can carry it and who can't carry it, and and I re- I I think that that is uh, when you're in the bat in in a moment like that in an evening when when it's soft and it's and it's wild, uh, it's you know that you can't stay in that white hot light for very long. It's just too it's too blinding and 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 hot, but then somehow when when you come back out of it, you conduct yourself. Everything is different. How you conduct yourself with people and and the music and each other in the band, you just know that something really, really quite sacred has happened, and it's uh, everything is is changed. And you live for those moments. I I live for those moments when I when I'm in that that light. It's when I'm most alive and when I'm most fluid, because I I'm, I I feel myself as as that kind of shape, and then I struggle with this earthly coil. You know, and these bones and feet, and because we're just a live world, we're soul balls. You know, and we're energy. That I mean, that's that's not new, but I, I think so. Given the fact that that we are energy, to be in that energy and to be connected in that energy is, yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So that's a gorgeous answer. So we'll 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 wrap it up. What's next for Brian Finnegan and where can people find out about it? I think Fluke are going to be out on the road end. Um, I think that I, we're doing a couple of gigs and um, well, we're heading off. Next time I see them, we'll be in Japan um, uh, in May. So that's a little bit away. I'm heading off the weekend to do some work in, with Boris, the Russian. Uh, all over um, and then, yeah, later in the summer festivals and, uh, bits and pieces, we'll be over in Ireland doing some gigs and, 
uh, hopefully conquer the skin even in some more live work as well. So, um, I'll that's, put that's that. Yeah, I'll, I'll put links. I'll put links to everything I can find on on uh, in in the notes, uh, as they say, so people can go and find you. But um... and in fact, I'm just going into the studio tomorrow with my sister Morna. So I'm really excited about that. Um, she was on the Hunger of the Skin album. Uh, she's an amazing poet, and uh, I've been on her case for years. To she's an anthrop anthropologist. She lectures anthropology in Edinburgh, but she's really you know she's she's profoundly a, a beautiful poet. Um, and uh, yeah, so finally, I mean, I I did one better on this last album. I actually got her just to, to to recite one of her poems. But uh, now we've got 14 poems lined up and so she's going to go in tomorrow and put them down and then Sean Oak, Graham and I will do our best not to muck them up. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. And, and my old banjo buddy Leon Hunt is on Hunger of the Skin as well. I was listening to it this morning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I love Leon. Yeah, I know. He's, uh, he's, he's uh, you know, I, I my first album was recorded uh, the Rapish and Genius Bones was recorded in Leon's place in Bass. And it's just that whole that whole kind of the scene over over in Bath. It's just the bluegrass scene is just class, and I just I love those guys, and they just bring this yeah this Le real vibe. Yeah, Le Leon was on the very the very earliest iteration of We Banjo Three. I mean, We Banjo Three's first gig had four banjos. We we never made f um, numerical sense, <laughs> but our very first show was with Leon. We had four banjos. I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. 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 Why, why not? I mean, like he's the guy's brilliant, eh? Yes. Yeah. He used to slag me off because I was telling him the banjo that I wanted to get made and it would be all, you know, fancy. And he'd go, end up, all your taste is in your mouth, mate. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. Very good. Uh, Brian, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And thank you so much for your time. I can't wait to see what you come out with next. And uh, hopefully we'll meet uh, sooner rather than later and have some tunes. If you're if you allow if you allow banjos in the hallowed grounds of flutes and whistles, big fan of that. I'm a big fan of banjos. You know that. <laughs>